0: Well, please keep romans 12 open and uh there's an outline you've been given as well if you'd like to follow along with the talk let's pray loving father thank you for your word and we pray that you would open us and make us better servants of yours as we hear your word and your spirit works in our hearts we pray this in jesus name amen Well, I'm currently reading a book by Bill Bryson on the human body and learning how wondrously incredible our bodies are. Uh, For example, did you know that we have 40,000 kilometres of blood vessels in our bodies, if you include all the tiny little capillaries and everything else? Uh, And that's enough to stretch around the whole world if we harvested all your blood vessels and laid them end to end. And probably the hardest working part of our bodies is our heart, Uh, which of course has to keep pumping continuously all the time without fail. Every second of your life, more than once a second, your heart has to keep beating and it can't, it's not like it can have a rest for half an hour and just shut down while you're asleep in bed or something, uh, because of course you'd never wake up. It has to just keep going, so for nearly 49 years, mine has just been beating, more than every second, uh, keeping me alive. And it's not just a little twitch that the heart gives, once a second, It's a hard squeeze that's required to move all the blood around that 40,000 kilometres of blood vessels in your body. In fact, our hearts pump about 260 litres of blood every hour, which means more than 6,000 litres your heart pumps every day. And it can't stop. It has to keep doing it all the time. Amazing. Our brains are also amazing. They can produce these things called thoughts and can join the thoughts together and can... um, Uh, store these things called memories, Uh, what is a thought, what is a memory, who knows, but anyway, our brains produce them. Uh, It's said that the human brain holds about 200 exabytes of information, which is roughly equivalent to the entire digital content of the world today, in your brain, so they say, which is incredible. Um, and so, humans can't even come close to producing a machine that's anything, li- anything like the hum- our own bodies. Uh, they can't produce a brain that functions like ours, just this mushy thing that does all these things. Uh, can't produce a, a robot that moves like we can move with sort of smoothness and flexibility and grace. We can't make anything like this. Now, the author of this book, Bill Bryson, puts it all down to evolution, isn't that amazing? Uh, But of course, it's far too miraculous to put down to to evolution. Um, There's a creator who made us. It's obvious to me anyway. Now, many of us would be familiar with the idea of church being like a body. Um, The image is used in the Bible to emphasise the unity and the diversity of the church, one body, many parts, and the headship of Jesus over that body. And uh, we're doing this teaching series um, as we prayed, uh, called Serving One Another, this term. And so this week, we're spending the week thinking about this issue of serving in the context of a body. The question here is, how can we serve God in a way that fits in with everybody else in the church? In the New Testament, when the the church is referred to as a body, with each of us being different parts, it's often accompanied by the mention of gifts. Uh, We all have different gifts, we're all different parts of the body. So the question that we often end up asking when we encounter a passage like this, you might end up wondering, which body part am I? Uh, What gifts has God given me? And that can take us in the direction of some quite unhelpful questions, actually, uh, like, how do I compare with other people here? Uh, What do I do better than everybody else? And if it's nothing, then do I really have a place here? Uh, How am I unique and special? Why don't I feel more useful? What is my place here? Why aren't I getting to do the thing that I feel like I should be getting to do? In fact, the talk about being a unique part of the body with our own gifts can take us in the direction of being quite self-absorbed sometimes uh, rather than in the direction of servanthood. But if we understand the language of the body and the gifts properly, it should make us better servants. And so I hope that's uh, the outcome of tonight's uh, look at Romans chapter 12. Uh, we'll see, I think, that this image of the body and its parts, it doesn't promote selfishness, it promotes servanthood. Um, It it promotes integration rather than individualism. So, hopefully, we'll leave with a greater sense of togetherness as well. Now, at the start of Romans 12, as we read, are two famous headline verses. Verse 1, In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And Verse 2, Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind as a Christian. What does that mean, the renewing of your mind? In what what way is it supposed to be renewed? Well, Paul goes on to talk about, firstly, how to be a humble servant who knows how to fit in with God's people. That's how our minds need to be renewed, first of all, and that's what verses 3 to 8 are about, which is what we're looking at tonight. Now, there are three aspects of this new mind that we are supposed to have as Christians. The first is verse 3, and we are to see what qualifies us as God's people. Who gets to say that they belong here? Uh, What qualifies you to be a part of us? Of course, the world operates on the basis of merit. You've got to be good enough. You have to earn your place in the world and prove that you are worthy. If you're in a sports team you've got to prove that you're good enough to be on the team. If you've got a certain job in the workplace, you've got to live up to the performance that's expected of you to hold on to that job. Uh, If you're in a group of friends, even maybe, you might think, do I deserve my place here? I need to sort of earn my place in this group. And similarly, in a church, sometimes people might think, do I deserve my place here? Can I really say I'm part of things here? So, we constantly compare ourselves with with one another. Am I living up to what I should be? But if our attitude to belonging and serving in church is, I deserve to be in this position because I'm worthy, then it will only undermine the fellowship and it will only make it harder for you to fit in, if that's how you're thinking. Paul says, for the, By the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now that's not saying that each of us should measure how much faith God has distributed to us and therefore rank ourselves soberly uh, as a a poor Christian or an average Christian or an excellent Christian. That's not what Paul is saying. The point is that we should recognise that every Christian has been given a measure of faith. That's the thing that we all have in common. In in a sense, the amount of faith is irrelevant. It's the presence of faith that qualifies you to be part of God's people. And that's something that God has given to every believer, a measure of faith. So, if you're a believer, then you and I have that in common. Fundamentally, uh, we share our faith. None of us is here based on merit. All Christians are here because God has put this thing in us called faith. He's caused us to trust in His Son, Jesus. We're all different, but we have that in common. You trust in Jesus if you're a Christian, and so do I. So, I shouldn't think more highly of myself than I ought, because I belong here on the basis of my trust in Jesus, same as you, thanks to God. Uh, Same way, you and every Christian should think of themselves with sober judgment. I'm just here because I'm a believer in Jesus, same as everyone else. But of course, if you've been operating on the basis that you deserve a certain respect because of who you are or what a great Christian you are or you've been around here for such a long time or whatever it is, then that's not right thinking, that's not sober judgment and you will find it hard to fit in. Uh, You won't be able to truly serve, you'll only sort of be indulging your own ego as you go about serving. So, this is how we should assess ourselves. Who am I? I'm a person who trusts in Jesus by the grace of God, same as every other Christian here, And if I assess myself any other way, I'll struggle to fit in and struggle to serve. If we get that right to begin with, then it will promote the unity that Paul goes on to talk about in the following verses, which is the second aspect of the renewed mind of a servant in verses 4 and 5. So the first is understand on what basis you belong. The second is recognize yourself as a part belonging to the whole. Now I've sometimes thought of a church as uh, a little bit like a colony of penguins in the Antarctic. You know, you've seen the documentaries with all the penguins huddled together and the the icy wind blowing all over them and they sort of, I think they might rotate and take turns in the centre or something like that, very very clever. Um, It's a picture of sort of precious togetherness, we've got to stick together to survive. But the picture of the body in the New Testament is is an even more radical picture of togetherness than even that. a penguin can still survive on its own, but my finger can't survive on its own. Um, you cut my finger off from the rest of the body, then my finger's, well, it's just a piece of meat on the ground or something like that. <laughs> so, you really, a body really is together, isn't it? It's not just like a colony of penguins. Anyway, Paul says in verses 4 and 5, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function... So in Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. The body picture tells us that each of us is not a whole, in a sense. We are only part of, each of us is only part of a whole. As it says literally, we are parts of one another. Uh, And this very much goes against the way that our culture teaches us to think, which is that first of all, I need to be true to myself. I can be whoever i decide that i want to be and i need the courage to be my authentic self Um, no one else can tell me who to be i can choose you do you i'll do me Um, very individualistic and so our ties to each other don't define us we mustn't let those things define us Uh, we define ourselves Um, i can cut those ties and be somebody else if i want but here the bible says if i'm a christian i should see myself as part of a bigger whole And so, I am bound to my fellow Christians, I depend on them and they depend on me. I have a part to play, I have responsibilities to my fellow Christians and together we are a body, we are the body of Christ. I am not the whole, I am just a part of the whole, which is Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that we're all the same, as it says, the parts all don't have the same function, we're all different. But no part functions independently of all the others. It's like if I pick up my Bible with my hand, like this, uh, we might say, well, I picked up the Bible with my hand. My hand picked up the Bible. But of course, for my hand to pick up the Bible, the muscles in my arm needed to be connected with my hand and do something. And my stomach needed to harvest some nutrients from some food earlier in the day to give me the energy to do it. And my lungs needed to get oxygen from the air. And, of course, the nutrients and the oxygen had to be put into my blood and then my heart needed to pump the blood to my muscles in in order to end up in my hand so that I could pick up the Bible. And, of course, my brain also had to tell my arm to move and to pick up the Bible with my hand. It had to decide and coordinate all of that and the messages needed to get to my hand. So, I've been going on for a long time about picking up the Bible, but you can see that it's not just my hand that did it. I'm an interconnected whole and that's why this picture of the body is such a powerful picture it's the same with our serving in the church none of us serves in our own right we're all interdependent even though we have different parts to play and if we can't recognize that if you or I think that our serving is just our thing then we won't be able to serve in a way that fits in each of us are parts belonging to the whole my ministry is not my ministry um, and that should change the way that I see it and the way that I do it So the third aspect of true servant thinking which follows on from this is in verses 6 to 8 which is to treasure the opportunities that God gives you to serve. It's a privilege to have a part to play in the body and all of us are continually being given parts to play. Uh, Paul says at the start of verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. It's a mistake to think of gifts as just the things that God has made you good at. Uh, Often people think of gifts in the Bible as that way, that, well, that's what God's made me good at. It's a mistake to think that narrowly. Um, That puts too much focus, I think, on us individually. Um, Paul is not just talking about our abilities when he uses this language of gifts. A gift is an opportunity to serve. It might come about partly because of what God has made us able to do but it'll also include our other circumstances as well as the need that we are responding to. That's part of the gift that God is giving us. Uh, Do you notice in verse 6 that Paul says we have different gifts according to the grace given to us and he used the same phrase in reference to his own ministry in verse 3 where he said, by the grace given to me I say to you. In verse 3, he wasn't saying, I'm speaking to you because I'm really good at speaking to people. No, he was saying, I'm speaking to you because I have this responsibility, I have this opportunity to serve you in this way. God's made me an apostle. He could have said, it is my gift to say to you. Um, and so, you see, a gift is an opportunity to serve. It's not just what we're good at. And... Um, I'll give you an example in my previous parish sometimes we lacked people who could play music well and and do it in church uh, i don't know how you, how you whether you realize how truly blessed we are in this church with the, the people who play music and sing for us in church but in my previous parish we didn't have so many of them and one day on a quiet january when lots of people were away all we had was a guy with a guitar who couldn't sing or didn't want to sing And so, I took up the microphone and led the singing. And after the service, everyone seems, just came, miraculously came to a common mind as to how to approach what had just taken place. Um, Let's just pretend nothing happened, was (laughs) what they all decided to do. And so, no one said a word about it and I was never invited to do it again. But for that Sunday, song leading was my gift, you see. I was pretty average, but it was my gift. And I was a gift to the church as well. Sometimes uh, the New Testament uses the gift language in those terms. Maybe I was God's gift to the church to teach them patience and forgiveness and whatever else. (laughs) Or prayer, please make this end or whatever. (laughs) Um, But I would contend that that's how Paul uses the language of gifts. It's about the opportunities to serve that God puts in front of us. And his main point here is that we should treasure those opportunities whatever they may be at every, any given point in time and so he gives us a list of examples um, if your gift is prophesying then prophesy in accordance with your faith if it's serving then serve if it's, if it is teaching then teach if it's to encourage then give encouragement if it's giving then give generously if it's to lead do it diligently if it's to show mercy do it cheerfully all of those things i think are things that anybody can do um, prophesying is a broad term that means speaking God's Word to encourage God's people at a particular time and Paul says if you get to do that then do it in a way that's true to the faith and then he piles on other examples if you get the opportunity to serve or to teach or to encourage or to give or to lead or to show mercy or any other number of examples of ways that we can serve if your circumstances allow And there is a need there and if it seems like the right thing for you to do at that time then do it give yourself to it and do your best at it Um, treasure the gift that God is giving you to serve the motivation for giving ourselves to the gifts that God is giving us the opportunities to serve is that we are part of a body the body of Christ it's a privilege to have a part in that and so we play it as well as we can If my gift right now is to stand up and open God's Word to His people, then I need to be doing it to the very best of my ability. Uh, If you find a pile of washing left in the church sink, surprise gift that God is giving to you. Do it to to the best of your ability. Uh, If a random conversation in the church car park leads to a really significant conversation in which you can say helpful things to somebody and then have a pastoral relationship with them in an ongoing way, Then give it everything. Um, If you don't feel that you're able to to get around very much but you can pray for others then that is the gift, a gift that God is giving you and so give it everything. So um, in this passage the three states of mind that we need in order to serve as part of a body is first, what qualifies us to be part of things is the faith God has given to every believer, not our impressiveness but just faith. Secondly, we need to see ourselves as part of a whole. Your serving is not about you. My serving is not about me, it's about us. And thirdly, the opportunities that God gives us to serve are gifts to be treasured. So when it comes to how we can serve in a way that fits in, uh, it's very much a matter of thinking less about the individual, my ministry, and more about the body, our ministry, in which I am a part And just to finish, I'll point out four practical implications uh, for how to serve in a way that's truly serving and fitting into the body. Be here, be humble, be flexible, be cooperative. Here's number one, be here. It is here where God's people are that God's gifts are given, in this sense. It's here that you will find the opportunities to serve in the body. And so we've got to be here. We've got to be in the fellowship. As part of the fellowship, if you want to serve, um, you have to show up. That's the first thing. I guess it's fairly obvious. The second thing is to be humble. We need to measure ourselves simply as fellow believers who rely on God for our needs. And we are here to serve. It's not about me, it's not about status or reputation or comfort or convenience. The humble question is what's best for others? That's the question of the servant. What's best for others? Uh, So, we need to be humble. Thirdly, we need to be flexible. If you're asking what's best for others, then you could find yourself doing all kinds of different things uh, as a way of serving, being given all kinds of surprise gifts, from cleaning up the mess in the sink to significant conversations that you might be led to, to leading the singing on one desperate week, uh, to all kinds of different opportunities, we need to be open to the gifts of grace that God might give. And uh, I guess there's a, there's a danger here that if you think you know what your thing is, this is how I serve, this is the gift God's given me, or just one or two things, then you might be missing out on all kinds of other fantastic gifts that God wants to give you elsewhere if you just open your mind and be a bit more flexible to the opportunities God's giving you to serve. Um, we can be blessed through those surprising ones as well. So, be flexible is the third. And the fourth is be cooperative. If we are parts of the body, if we're interdependent on one another, then we need to learn to work together as best we can. Um, we don't want to be uncoordinated as a body, falling over all the time and that kind of thing. And that means we, ne- we need to, I- to learn to embrace other people's ideas from time to time, Uh, even if we didn't come up with them and maybe make compromises. Uh, We need to learn how to resolve conflict sometimes and communicate effectively, Um, share our thoughts and feelings in a polite, respectful way, listening to other people's thoughts and feelings in a polite, respectful way that really does listen. Uh, We need to learn to live with other people's personalities of all different types and we need to learn how to see others as God sees them and value them and realise that God's given them a measure of faith, just as he's given to us. If we want to be useful, we need to learn how to work with others humbly, because church is not the place where I do my thing. It's the place where we do our thing, and I have a part in that, along with everybody else. Um, I have four children, and um, in all my hours of watching Thomas the Tank Engine cartoons with them, Uh, There was a phrase that always intrigued me. It pops up every now and again in these cartoons. You might remember it from your childhood. You remember, um, just by way of explanation, that um, all the trains on Thomas the Tank Engine, they worked on this network on the island of Sodor. It was ruled by a guy called the Fat Controller. And the Fat Controller's authority in the network was unquestioned. And when he spoke to them, the ultimate praise that he gave to them when one of them did something good was he would say to them, you are a really useful engine. And they were completely satisfied with that compliment. You're a really useful engine. And I always used to think, I don't think I'd be satisfied with that, <laughs> you know, uh, with just being useful. I, I'd want to hear, you are the strongest engine, you are the fastest engine, you are the best looking engine, you are the, one of the best that I have, or if not the best, you are a really gifted engine, is what I would like to hear. But he said, no you're a really useful engine. And they were, they beamed when he said that to them. And that's because, of course, now they weren't saints, but they were servants, these, tra- these engines, they lived to serve. They just wanted to be useful to the network and to the fat controller. Any understanding of what the Bible is saying about the body and its parts and about spiritual gifts needs to promote that attitude of wanting to be useful. Not an attitude of wanting to be somebody, Who has the better abilities who has the greatest gifts that's getting it wrong not a selfish attitude to serving i'll serve on my terms because i know how i want to do my serving and that's what has to happen no but wanting to serve as part of the whole without a thought for self and seeing serving as a gift an opportunity to serve which i think is the way that paul is speaking here so let's pray that god helps us and gives us this attitude to the body Loving Father, we thank you that you've made us part of the body of Christ, that you've made those who believe, you've given us a measure of faith and bound us together. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to adopt this attitude of wanting to be useful, wanting to serve. Help us um, to be here and to be humble and to be flexible and to be cooperative. Uh, and we pray, Lord, that you would make us true servants by teaching us what it is to be together as a body and each of us a part of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.